Who wants to tell you who wants a pot of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want coffee? Who wants coffee? And now it's time for the man with the caffeine. The new tropics for the brain. It's coffee with Mike. Hang in, hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. Welcome back, everybody. This is Java Chat. I'm Coffee with Mike, and I get to sit here with a, a gentleman that I think we'll find a lot of really interesting conversation here. He's the author of the, the bestseller, The School of Intentional Living. And if that title doesn't tell you this is going to be a good podcast, you're not paying attention. May I introduce to you Mr. Sean Rosensteel. Sean, thanks for coming and joining us on the podcast today. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Mike. It's a pleasure. So your, your, the title of your book was what got my attention. When, I, when, we first, when I had Brianna reach out to you, I was just like, go find this guy and go get him on the show. We need to find out what this intentional living deal is about. But before we get into the book and, and, and the whole subject of intentional living, do us a favor and give our, our listeners a good idea of who Sean Rosensteel is. Where are you from? What's your story, man? Yeah, thanks. Well, I actually recently moved to Dallas from Chicago. Good move. I think it is. I think yep. it is. It was love tough. Dallas. I, I love Dallas too. Yeah. I also love Chicago. I was born and raised there, so it was still a, a great city. No, no doubt. Just, just the cold e, cold e, <laughs> and it's you know it's gone through some changes over the past few decades. And it has. Um, it has. Yeah, it was a tough decision because my folks were there, and that's why <sighs> we were there. They're they're in their mid seventies and. My wife's parents are much younger. So we figured, well, you know, 10 more years, this chapter closes, we'll move south. Yeah. And we've been coming here for our winners to Dallas for the past nice. gosh, six, seven years, which has been nice. And when we got down here this year in January, and this is really before the pandemic kind of hit the headlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a call from my mom and she's like, hey, hon, we we're moving to South Carolina. Your, oh goodness! Your father and I are moving, and we're like, ah. "Oh wow!" And she's like, "Do you want to come?" And we're like, "No, not at all." <laughs> <laughs> we're like, "Our next move is Dallas," you know. Yeah. Uh, so they ended up moving, and we're sitting down here, and now it's like February, March. The headlines are mm -hmm. starting to hit about the yep. pandemic, and we're like, "Well, maybe we'll move, not in ten years, but two to three years." And eventually, we said, "We have no idea what the state of Illinois is going to look like, or, yep. or any, you know, the state of anything, right? There's so much yep. uncertainty, but yep. if we wait another two or three years, we've got three kids, seven and under, they're in school, they're, they're making friends, we're making friends. And it's like, we might as well just rip the bandaid. What's the yep. sense now of, of, you know, waiting two to three years if our anchor is, you know, pulling yeah. up, yeah. going out to South Carolina, right? Yep. So we remotely sold our home. We had a dream team back in Chicago that helped us through the whole process. That's awesome. Furiously got into the minivan with the kids, drove 16 hours north to pack our house in 30 days. And wow, we closed. And yeah, we've been down, down here ever since. So that was, I guess, permanently at the beginning of June. So interesting change. Texas is a very different environment. I'm oh, yeah. a Midwesterner, right? So yeah. we were aware of the heat. We were aware that the summers got hot here. What no one taught us about or told us about were the bugs. <laughs> <laughs> like it's like crit, critter roulette in our home did, every did, night did you did you get to shake any of their hands or or antenna they're that big <laughs> they are that huge. big mike they are and huge. we we try to be healthy we try to do you know i try to stay gluten-free and we try to buy healthy foods and use healthy products for the in most texas? part we try in texas 
So we went through like every single brand of natural bug spray there was. Oh, and yeah. our kids were getting out there. eaten alive by the mosquitoes. No. Finally, we're like, give us the deep. Yep. Like, give us the high concentration stuff. We need to take care of it. So we bent our rules a bit since we've been you, here. You got, you got to understand something about bugs in Texas. For those of you that don't, don't know and have never been or don't, you know, if you ever visit there, first off, they're big enough that you can actually shake hands with them. Secondly, if you hit them with anything organic, they're going to look at you and say, thanks for the bath. <laughs> It, and so as, as you notice, as you notice, Sean's <laughs> laughing. It's not a joke. <laughs> no, it's really not. I'm laughing because I'm I'm quietly crying inside, <laughs> based on our experience this summer. But no, it's it's been good, and it's been nice to uh, uh, be closer with my wife's family. She's that's got awesome. a lot of family here, so that's neat. But yeah, let's see what else. I I've been in entrepreneurship all my life. I grew up in sort of an entrepreneurial household graduated with a degree in entrepreneurship, started nice. my first business, went bankrupt. Nice. <laughs> so perfect. learned a few valuable lessons along the way, right? Yeah. But well, yeah. No entrepreneur was, is complete without his first failure. Just yeah. got to be clear about that. Thank case. you. That's what I tell myself every yep. night when I go to bed. <laughs> Don't but, we uh, all? Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> it's not kinda, complete without it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that bankruptcy taught me a lot about myself. I mean, I grew yeah. up with this very conventional idea of success, right? Mm -hmm. You have the big home, the fast cars, the fancy toys. It's all about material possessions, status, keeping up with the Joneses. And when I went bankrupt, I, I was pursuing my business, but, but financials. I was pursuing that, you know, growing my net worth at all yeah. costs. And I really let go and, and, and neglected all the area, other, other areas of my life that, that, mattered that I should have been balancing at the time. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when I went bankrupt, it was kind of my way of losing my identity. I think for the first time in my life, I was in my late twenties and what I recognized because I finally took a step back and reflected a bit upon my life. And I think that this pandemic is doing that for so many people. I so think here's, a, here's, a, here's a question for you. <clears throat> Did you have an identity yet? My identity was like, you know, I wanted to be a millionaire. Yeah, you know, but, like, but I, do, do, you, do you, can, and that's why I'm asking that. Did you have an identity yet? If you think about it, because in our 20s, we all think we have one. And I even went through this as a musician, thinking that my identity was to be this big musician star. Sure, sure. Until I found out that wasn't going to be. Yeah. And all yeah. of a sudden, I, I, for me, and this is just for me, but that's why I asked the question, did you, did you have an identity yet? Did you really have one that was developed enough to, to actually say, yeah, this is who I am? I think that's a lifelong journey. Yeah. Right. Love I it. Mean, Love I'm, it. I'm, I'm still <laughs> sorting that out to a certain degree. I think we all are. I agree. Yeah. So kind of recognize that, wow, this financial ruin of mine is the least of my problems, right? I'm, yep. I'm, I'm physically bankrupt. I'm mentally, emotionally bankrupt. I'm yep. spiritually bankrupt. I'm relationally bankrupt. I, I was in a pretty dark place and luckily I got some really good, good guidance from, from my parents and I decided to kind of turn my life around and started to focus on, you know, what are the things I need to improve about my life and, and what, what's the right order of yeah. these things? Yeah, what do yeah. I work on first? What do I work on second? And almost created a framework or an approach to living more intentionally because Mike, for the first three decades of my life, I was living very unintentionally. And I think I'm being generous uh, with, with that statement. Yeah. But I came from a place of like, hey, I'm immortal. I'm I'm bulletproof. You know, that that attitude that many teenagers yep. carry. I kind of carried that 
yep. with me. Yep. I'd never shrugged that one off. I kind of carried that through my twenties <laughs> and started to appreciate the, the, the fragility of life and, and started to take note and, and find some gratitude in, in some of my escapes. Like I had some close calls growing up that never really shook me out of my slumber. And then for whatever reason, this darn bankruptcy was like the thing. It, it wasn't that I almost lost my life a handful of times. It was like this financial thing that really hit home with me. So I started to get some pretty neat results in my life and in some different areas. And eventually I began teaching and coaching this, this vehicle for, for intentional living. And it was recommended to me over and over again for like six years. Hey, you should write a book. Now I'm an avid reader. I am now. I wasn't, you know, until I was about 30, but I read about a book a week and I always thought there's no way I could write, write a book. You know, I can't do what these great authors do. They take the time to organize and clarify their thoughts. They have the courage to expose their work to public criticism. No way. But of course, like every seed that gets planted, eventually it, it blossoms. So late last year, I finally had an idea that allowed me, gave me the confidence to kind of enter into this topic of intentional living. I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of misconceptions out there about sure. what intentional living is. And I think there's, it's a big, hairy, broad, scary topic for many of us, always myself included. Yeah, always has been. Myself included. But this idea gave me just enough confidence where I could say, okay, I could write about it in this way through this <clears> lens. And I think this would be highly relevant and highly relatable to so many people. So let me take the, you know, let me take a shot at it. Uh -huh. And uh, so I made that decision at the beginning of this year started the book in February. It was published late July. And I was very shocked, frankly, at uh, how well it, it, it's done, how well it did during like the week of the launch and how well it's done since then. I feel very blessed that it's done so well. Did you have some help with that as you were Absolutely. writing through it? Yeah. yeah it's this... like anything worthwhile. Yeah. It took a village, right? So yeah. I had an incredible advanced reader base. I had about 125 people, friends and family, sure. uh, clients, things yeah, of that yeah, nature. Yeah, yeah that raised their hand and said, we wanted an early version of it. So that was huge. And then mm -hmm. of those 125, about, I can't remember, maybe 20 of those people helped me with the actual launch. Nice. So they helped me with like 30 <clears throat> days preceding the publication date. So I had a ton of help with it and great mentors, incredible mentors along the way. I had incredible editors. My family was very supportive. It's interesting at the beginning of the year, because of the pandemic, I had an, another business where I was doing business coaching for many right. years. Okay. My wife and I sat down and we were laughing in early January. We we're like, our projections this year are just amazing. Our financial projections. Like we have, you know, our books look better this year than we did in 19. Like this is incredible. And I'm thinking, this is the, this is the year to write my book. We've right. got all this financial security. Well, by about late February, I lost 90% of my clients, <laughs> right? So it's like, holy cow. So yep. all of that security went away. And I thought, you know, everything about the situation was like, now's not the right time. But I tend to redirect that thought when I have it to now's precisely the right time. So mm -hmm. now is precisely the right time. What are my options then? What does my life look like then going forward in the next few yeah. weeks, months, et cetera? Yeah. So glad I did. There's a little bit of a leap of faith, but sometimes you have those burning passions or desires and you, know, you get to a point where you're like, I'd rather move toward this thing than yeah. continue procrastinating it because yep. it, that just feels so horrible when you're holding it in. I'm a creative person. 
So it was really helpful for me to get on it, to actually start making some progress towards that goal because I kind of withheld for so many years. That was, I have a book too. We have to kind of rewrite some of it to address some of the things that are going on today. But even for me, it was like, okay, how do I do this? And my mentor was one that said, if you're going to write, you're going to sit down and just write every day for three months straight and just go. And, and boy, let me tell you, that was hard. It was just because there were some days where I'd sit there in front of my screen and go, I got nothing. What do I write? And, yeah. and it was interesting. It was, it, it was still done in the midst of, I think I wrote it back in 16 or 17. I can't remember when I wrote it anymore. And it's like, it's, it was in the midst of a time when it was kind of dark, not as busy. And I still got it done. And, and I, I, I've found that with, a few authors, not a, not a ton of them. Books get written in the weirdest times, right in the middle, like yours did, right in the middle of a pandemic. One others that I know have gotten written in the middle of a loss of business or a loss of a loved one or a loss of this, or times when space opened. And most everybody, I I look at more of it, more of it, and I'm thinking, was that intended? Was it an intentional opening of space? It kind of leans towards that, like that might have been woo-woo stuff. Another it's time. a good way to look at it. I mean, I was very grateful that I carried through with my decision because, it, you know, during these times of uncertainty, it gave me something to focus on. Mm -hmm. It gave me something to sink my teeth into. Yep. I had a very easy reason to unplug from the news. You know, I had a, I had a reason behind why I shouldn't tune into certain <clears throat> things and why I should stay focused over here. So I feel like it was a big blessing and it happened at a time where, I mean, it's twofold. I agree with what you're saying mm. and I buy into that, trying to find some empowering meaning through a, a yeah. difficult situation. Mm -hmm. So number one is it gave me something to focus on during this crazy time of uncertainty that we're all experiencing. Right. But number two, <clears throat> I think one of the reasons that the book did so well thus far is because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I don't think if I were to, if I were to have written this book back in 2018, four or five months after it published, it would have the sales that it has today in 2020. So I think there's some luck there. <laughs> I think there's, there, there could very well be. I, I can tell you that books back in 18 probably took a lot more promotion than they would have over the last four or five months. It's true. Yeah. I, yeah. When, when, people are, when people are locked down in their own houses and they're sitting there going, what do I do now? A book is definitely a welcome thing, whether that's listening or reading. I have friends that are not big readers that they're just like, yeah, I finally finished those five books I've been making. To read. <laughs> I'm like, five, dude, you were having a problem with one. What are you talking right? about? Yeah. It's so a it, nice escape occasionally, right? Escape, entrance, whatever you want to call it, because in some cases, the novels, they're the escape. Sure. Books like sure. ours, they're the entrance into new thinking. Sure. And I think, I think they're both appropriate. I mean, I, I would never discount one from the other. Sometimes you need that creative escape. Sometimes you need that entrance into some new type of thinking and, and not just, you know, not just echo chamber thinking either. You know, right. I, I, I've read other books that are pretty controversial you know, and I've had to really stop and take a look and go, wow, where does this perspective come from? But it's, it's, I think it's part of humanness to be able to stop for a second and take the written word into, into, into mind and really ponder it and really understand what's going on, whether that be creative or non-creative. Mm -hmm. or nonfiction, if you will. 
Yeah, I'm very, I'm very happy for your success, man. Congratulations for one. Thank you. Thank uh, you. You made so you're in the Amazon's bestseller lists. The subject of intentional living. How did that just come like as a means of just evolution over time, or was it just something that just kind of came through mentors and? How did that all piece together as a, as a system? Yeah. I think some people might call that, you know, a purpose-driven life. Yeah. I think some people might call it leading a life of significance. I just landed on, you know, intentional living. I've been a student of, of many books over the years. And one of the books that I read that had a real profound difference impact on me was the top five regrets of the dying by Bronnie Ware. Wow. And she was a palliative care nurse and she worked with her patients in the final weeks of their lives. And after hundreds of patients and years of palliative care experience, she recognized very common patterns and very common threads with the conversations that she was having. So she wrote a book on it. And the number one regret that she heard most often was, I wish I had the courage to live a life that was true to myself and not one that others expected of me. And when I read that, I'm like, I am a product of conventional wisdom right now. I am a product of conventional success. Yep. <clears throat> um, I'm a product of my religion, society, culture, upbringing, parents. It, it's just my environment. And there's nothing wrong with that. I look at conventional wisdom, like we all need some training wheels. Sure, <laughs> you know? sure, sure. But sure. I arrived at a point in my life where that no longer served me. And I had mm -hmm. to go for the fir very first time, Mike, and define and identify what it is I wanted out of my life, what it was that I wanted my life to be right. about and how I right. wanted to show up in the world. Right. And no one necessarily taught me how to do that growing up. Mm -hmm. um, I always felt like most people had their own agendas, you know, like I can count on less than five fingers, like true guides that I've met in my life that helped me discover my own truth, my own authentic, authentic yeah. answers to yeah, certain yeah, yeah. questions. And they, yeah. their only agenda was to help me achieve mine. Right. And, and I wanted to write from that perspective of the guide with this book. And it's how I approach coaching. And it's what I do in my online course. I just want to help people discover their own answers and to, to find clarity in, in their own truth. So intentional living for me became a way of life. I always say that, you know, the, the, the pivotal moment in my life or the shift is is when I shifted from conventional living to intentional living and all of a sudden my entire life changed. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions. I, for a while, I was reading books that had to do with like religion and Christianity and they kind of took that angle at intentional living and I, that wasn't really what I was looking for. Right. I know that is for a lot of people, but that wasn't necessarily for me. Mm -hmm. But I, I made an association with intentional living and I'm like, yeah, maybe, that, maybe this thing isn't for me. And then I read some books like Wayne Dyer's The Power of Intention. Yeah. And, 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 and like, I read the first 100 pages, Mike, I'm like, I don't have a clue what any of this is about. You know, like my little brain can't understand any. So I, yeah. I kind of associated intentional living with law of attraction and some woo-woo stuff, as you just called it, right? Yeah. Which it also really wasn't like, I just wanted a practical path yeah. to help me go from like this place of, you know, insignificance to like in a place of significance, right? Like I wanted to live more intentionally based on- I need to write that down. That was really good. Insignificance yeah. to a place of significance or that's insignificance. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's what my online, I mean, that's what the book does. That's what the, I mean, the transformation that the book or the course or my acceleration program, anything I do, the transformation I'm trying to deliver 
to the reader or to a student or to a, a client of mine is that transformation from insignificance to in significance, right? So anyways, that's what I wanted. And I had a hard time finding it. And I took a lot of personal development programs, all of which were amazing. Sure. But I never felt that they were flexible enough to custom tailor to my needs, to, mm -hmm. to my exact circumstances, mm -hmm. to my situation, to my phase of life. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to do with this was create something that was moldable. It's flexible. You can take it, make it your own and run with it based on wherever you are. And that's some of the feedback I've been getting was like, wow, this is very relevant for me right now in life. And wow, this is highly relatable. I use the metaphor of school right. in my book, which I don't look fondly on my formal education. It was an awkward time in my life. I was a horrible student. I think it was an awkward time for many of us, especially, <laughs> right. as, especially as entrepreneurs that look at the teacher and go, what the hell's that got to do with anything? I really struggled. I really yeah, struggled. I think but, we but all that, was, that was the idea I carried forward. So the idea was like, hey, I've been able to get some really incredible results that I'm so thankful for in my life over the past decade. If I were to write about this approach of mine, hmm. the lessons in this approach were very similar to the foundational and very fundamental lessons that I learned in school. Didn't hmm. recognize them at the time, didn't realize they were there, but in hindsight, wow, there were some things about my experiences in school that really helped me now in the real world. Yeah. So for the first quick example I'll give you is like subject areas back in school, right? We had five, six subject areas. We had to be responsible at all times. We couldn't pass a class and fail the rest. Right. We wouldn't progress to the next plate. Great. We couldn't do well in five classes, but you know, fail one, same yeah. net effect. Yeah. So somehow, some way back in school as students, we had to be in this constant state of balancing. Right. So in the real world now you have life areas. And the stakes are a lot higher in the real world. In my 20s, I went all out and pursued career, business, financial gain, and I lost everything. Yeah. My health suffered. My relationships suffered. I mean, everything about my life. I was a hot mess. I still yeah. am some days. Yeah, I think <laughs> we know? all are. <laughs> some days I still that's why am. That's why there's coffee. And, and podcasts. <laughs> and podcasts. <laughs> Absolutely. But so, so if you could take that lesson of, hey, there's more than one thing I need to pay attention to and continually improve. And it's not about this myth of work-life balance. It's about being in a constant state of balancing. It's a yeah. verb. It's not a noun. Yep. If you took that into the real world and you said, what are all the areas of my life that matter the most? Mm -hmm. We have health, we have wealth, we have relationships. We have all these sub areas. Like it's on us to discover what those areas are for ourselves, mm -hmm. right? So that's kind of like the first chapter in my book. It's like, hey, let's let's identify the targets in your life here so that you know what's at stake. Right. So that you understand what you might need to be continually paying attention to and improving over time. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Had have have like a million and one thoughts running through my head all just after that statement. But and we're gonna we're gonna take a short pause for about 30 seconds. And when we come back, we're gonna get into the next section. But Keep that in mind because one of the things that you triggered is an old story of probably one of my, in my head, possibly most remembered professors from one of my first classes in, in college of, of whom the class in and of itself, I could not care about the relevance of. But something he said in our first day in his class has stuck with me for 
as long as I've lived. And, and I'm we'll, hooked. Yeah, we'll, I'm hooked. We'll, I'll, 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 and I'll explain the, the, the significance of it when we come back. So, guys, we're going to take a short 30-second pause, and we'll be right back. And we're back here, Java Chat, with Sean Rosenstiel talking about intentional living. Before we left, I, I, I mentioned that I wanted to share a story about one of my professors that I had in college when I was first years and years and years ago. <laughs> I was attending a, a local community college. <clears throat> my, one of my classes <clears throat> was an economics class. And now everybody's going to go, well, we used to was insignificant. Said, well, yeah. Because at the time I was a musician, it was insignificant to me at the time. <laughs> it was probably one of the classes that I remember the least, but the professor I remember very well. And the reason for that is, first off, he was an immigrant from, from China that understood economics very well. And and was was funny because he was relating cultural differences between how we are in the U.S. and how they are in China. And and I and then when I when I'm talking culture, I'm talking base culture. China, Chinese culture, tea and food and how you act and all that kind of stuff. And the thing that stuck to me was, it's very interesting to us that here in the States, you raise a toast and say, here's to your health, but you drink it. And I, I for some reason, for, for years, that stuck with me. And I was like, what's the real intent behind it if that's if that's a reality why are we telling somebody here's to your health but i'm gonna drink it so it was a joke for many years but at the same time it, it was also very clear if you're gonna wish somebody something well shouldn't you be giving them rather than taking it onto yourself if you think about that there's a lot of times where that actually happens the intention is not enough you know when you're when, in, in the case of this, I'm, you know, you're intentional living. You're giving at the same time that you're, you're intending. You're not just – I'm, I'm assuming this. You're not just living with the intent to do something. You're actually intending and doing something. And from that standpoint, it's like, yeah, if I tell, if I tell somebody here's to your health, I'm giving it to them. If I tell somebody here's to your financial well-being, I'm giving them. That. I'm, I'm going to give that to them. If, I, if I'm intending somebody good knowledge, I'm giving them a book or I'm giving them an audible. I'm giving them something. I'm giving them a website. I'm giving them somebody to go and follow that's doing what it is that they're looking for. I think that as an actual intent, not just a good intention. We all know where the, the, that one leads. But as an actual intent to share, I think that's worth a lot more to our fellow human in general. I don't care where you're from on the planet. But I think having that as an actual intent probably will be of much greater value to whoever it is that we're sharing with at that moment in time. Does that make sense? Love that. Yeah, I love that. And what comes to mind, Mike, is the law of reciprocity. Absolutely. So you absolutely you carry yourself that way. You show up in the world that way. And you have this little thing called the law of reciprocity on your side. Yep. Right. And uh, yeah, I've always thought you know, there's so many, I think, misconceptions around purpose. Mm -hmm. I, I know I've struggled for many years with purpose. I used to ask myself incessantly, like, what's the purpose of my life? What am I doing here? Where's this all going? And what I've discovered, I think, is like, if, if you're out there looking for like, just give me a tactic I can put into play now. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the male fix it kicked in right there. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Just, just give it to me. What just is it? Just show me. Let me do it. Yeah. 
Well, I've always found that like the most meaningful kind of purpose is always, always, always when you're in service to others. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. You know, if I'm ever stuck or, you know, in my head about something like, it's like, how fast can I go do something for my wife? Mm-hmm. How fast can I give to my kids? How fast mm-hmm. can I go, you know, make sandwiches and deliver them to the homeless or whatever it is. And the moment you do that, everything changes, you know, because you're in that state of abundance and generosity and giving, and it's just your whole world changes from that. And for those of you who are stuck, like I once was, and that I occasionally still do is like, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? Two tiny little words changed everything for me, Mike. And it was when I added right now to the end of that line of questioning, when instead of asking myself, what is my purpose? Because when you ask yourself a bad question, your brain you'll will never get a, yeah. find that answer, you'll, right? You'll, or you'll get you'll a get bad the wrong, You'll get a bad answer or an incorrect <laughs> answer that runs you off into another. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so what helped me was like by adding right now. So what is my purpose right now? Like it grounded me in the present moment and and, and that line of questioned questioning helped me refocus on the activity at hand. Right. I don't know if you're familiar with like Eckhart Tolle's work, the power of now, right. It's like, he, he talks about how the future is nothing more than future present moments that haven't taken place yet. Right. The past is nothing more than present moments that have already occurred and all you have is the present moment. All you have is the now. So that always, that question always helped me just reground myself in the moment and refocus on, well, what's important just right now, mm-hmm. right now. Like I'm, we're, we're here together. We're both present, having a yep. fun conversation. Yep. We're not worried about what we're going to have for lunch. Yeah. You're in Vegas. So you probably haven't eaten lunch yet. We're not worried about that. We're not worried about what's going on at 5 PM tonight. We're here. Right. right and we can hopefully listeners can feel that. Hopefully we can feel that from one another. So it's like you have, and then you have the power of the compound effect also yep. on your side, which yep. is like you have stacks and stack days turn into weeks and weeks turn into months, et cetera. You have stacks of present moments, mm-hmm. truly present moments. Those things add up and they compound over time. Yeah. To, to round out the, because earlier I said it was a class that I really didn't really see any value in at the time. I do understand economics. In fact, I got very interested in economics much later in life. <laughs> when it mattered. When it, when it, when it, it actually relevant. mattered. Yeah, when it started becoming really relevant to me. And by the way, that wasn't just this year. It was like years ago, back in the early 2000s, when I started looking at going, oh, I should have listened to that class. Holy crap. <laughs> so so just so everybody knows, it's, it wasn't that I was – I mean, yes, I was the rebel without a cause. I, was the, I wasn't the kid in the back of the room. That's the funny thing. I always sat somewhere near the front. Did you? Yeah, it was kind of weird. I was, I, was the, I was the kid you expect in the back of the class that never paid attention. I actually sat near the front of the class and never paid attention. That's. <laughs> you just had no shame. I just had, my, just there was no shame in my care game. Less. I had no, I didn't give a rip. <laughs> you know, my, 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 some, of my, some of my professors too, they used to get a kick out of me. I had one who was a trial attorney. That uh, was a critical thinking class. Uh, just, and I'm, guys, I'm just sharing at this point just, just for fun. But this was another one of my, my inspirational moments was we would sit in class. He would bring up a subject, and then he would hold discussion, and the whole class would go nuts on each other, everybody just arguing and throwing things back and forth. And I'm sitting here looking at everybody going, I thought this was the critical thinking class. Why is everybody getting mad? And I, lit- I literally got on the phone with that professor 
I said, hey, I, w- I just wanted to thank you. I-, I-, I get the feeling you're dealing like with this a lot in your classes. He goes, I want to thank you for calling me and giving me that validation. You're like the only student I've ever had in the four years of teaching that really understands what critical thinking is about everybody else's being emotional. I'm like, I don't, I don't get it though. Guys were being emotional. It didn't make sense to me why they were doing that. I'm like, guys, personal experience isn't fact. That's, that's a personal fact. That's an experience. That's different. The facts of a matter lie with the facts are the facts. They lie within a situation, whatever the facts are, that's what you have to look at. Not what happened to your brother, not what happened to your cousin, not what you think is actually right and what's right, what, what you think is actually wrong. But, you know, we're talking about law here. What does the law say? Well, if the law says this, then what are the facts around that law? Well, then this is the outcome that needs to occur. Oh, no, 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 no. That can't be. This is what this happened. I'm like, so, yeah, it's later on in life, things became very relevant and I got back with it. And Wow. There's, there's sounds like you had some wisdom back then in your early years. Hey, well, and and here's the reason why is that because I, I, even in music, there are creative logisticians that most people don't realize exist. When you have really serious musicians that really know music and know theory and know their creative side is beautiful, but don't ever get into an argument of logic with them. They will logic you to death and you will not have a recourse in being emotional because they'll just look at you and go, you just don't get it. Here's the facts. Here's what's really working. Here's what's not working. And that blew me away as a musician who was just a kid that, you know, two questions every day, go to the beach or my friend's house and go play music. These guys were like, no, there's more to it than that. And here's how it really works. And this is where you're wrong. And I didn't like hearing that. <laughs> right. Yeah, no one does. <laughs> no, it's just, and it's, I really didn't like hearing that. And it, it, was, it, was, it was me rebelling, rebelling, rebelling. And they looked at me one day and they go, look at what you got. In fact, here, look at what you don't got. And look at where you're at. Results. Yeah. And they, and they said, now look where I'm at and look what I can do. I said, it's because I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. One of my, one of my best mentors in music was actually a finance manager. In a bank making well in six figures and this was back in the 80s <clears throat> early 80s late 70s he was making six figures doing very well one of his buddies came in looked at him with his feet up on his desk and said what the hell are you doing in here you belong out there playing music and you know it two weeks later he quit and he went back to music hmm. because he knew he was right the guy was right he didn't belong in a bank even though he knew he could do it he could sell like a he could sell ice to an eskimo if he wanted to but as, as, a, as a real musician, and by the way, he carries two degrees, one in big band, composi- uh, big band arrangement and one in composition. And, he, and he's also, if I remember correctly, still one of the only ones certified in Pro Tools that, is not, that does not have a PhD, uh, mm-hmm. a level four Pro Tools trainer. He's one of those guys. So bringing that back to you, who are some of the people that, inspired you to keep moving forward like as you were learning your your purpose at that moment who were some of those people that that gave you that boost sure i I think the first people that come to mind are my folks when i went bankrupt i had included some money that i had owed to them in the bankruptcy yeah oh yeah wait wait wait. let me retract that not nice 
wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, well, I better call, call them and give them a heads up. They're going to get a letter from the government soon. Yeah. So I made the call and this was guidance that forever changed my life. My dad said something he had said to me a hundred times before, never, mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for it, never clicked, but he said, Sean, no one is responsible for you, but you. And then my mom chimed in and said, I think it's time to find a quiet place and figure things out for yourself. <laughs> You know, and I've been doing that ever since. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For yeah. ten years now, you know, yeah. I, I finally w- had the readiness. I suppose I was finally in enough pain and discomfort to 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 really hear those words and, and listen and take their guidance to heart. Uh, so they they've just been an incredible force in my life. And one of the reasons why I keep going is I don't want to disappoint them again, because I grew up disappointing them over and over and over. And and I'm blessed that they're still here. And so one of my reasons is to not disappoint them again, yeah. to not let them down again. And that really keeps me going. Uh, let's see. Wayne Dyer has been just a huge oh, yeah. mentor in my life. Awesome. Uh, I started reading his books probably seven or eight years ago. And just some of the things that he's come out with have just really touched me. I mean, his whole phrase of, you know, I'd rather be kind than right, for example, just so simple. But when I'm with people who I would normally perceive as difficult or having different views or having a strong argument, just remembering that, you know what, I don't need to do anything here. I'd rather be kind than right. And let's just let this person have their say today, (laughs) you know, just keeps me at bay. And his whole thing about, you know, change the way you look at things, the things you look at change and, and shifting perspectives. And his work has just profoundly made a difference for me. And let's see, Napoleon Hill. Um, oh, yeah. big student of, of the <clears throat> Think and Grow Rich methodology. Awesome. I've been studying that since high school, although I didn't really understand it, you know, in yeah. high school. I, like, I think for the first 10 years I was reading that book, Mike, my whole aim was financial. Yeah. And I finally well, came that's to- how the book, that's how the book comes off. When you're, when you're that yeah. young, that's the only thing you know. Yeah, yeah. And then when all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, riches don't necessarily need to they connect don't, back yeah. to your financial right. area. Riches can mean anything through any area. And it's like, when you look at the book through that lens, think and grow happy, yeah. think and grow physically healthy, think and grow relationally. I mean, when you can actually take a different perspective through that book, no matter what it is that you desire in life, and, and, and it's not just financial gain, it can be anything. It can be a mindset, a habit, an attitude, deeper relationships, whatever it is, mm-hmm. the book opens up. And, and I think that's what the secret is, by the way, you know, he references the secret in the preface. It's, it's interesting. He, there's a, the, the original, the original manuscript, the one that is Im, almost impossible to find these days has certain parts inside that are italicized and certain parts inside that are in bold. And, and they're intentionally done that way to reveal that secret because you won't find it in the regular print, any of the normal editions, you won't see it. One of the, things that I noted from that book is the difference between, as you mentioned, rich and wealthy. Think and grow rich by definition thinks material. But if you really read the book, and I know you have, if you really read that book, you'll notice it's think and grow wealthy because of the different types of wealth that there are and not just material. There's, it, it covers every aspect of life. I mean, if you really read the book, you'll note that there are different aspects addressed in every story that Napoleon shares. 
And if come on, guys, think about it. This was a guy. This was a guy who, as a kid, the only thing that was paid for were his expenses. Everything else, he didn't get paid. There was no salary to that deal. Carnegie basically told him, "I'm, I'm gonna send you around. You're gonna go talk to a few people. You'll come back and you write a book." Had no idea what was gonna happen when all of that came together. And the only bargaining chip that that was offered was, "I'll pay for your brother's your college, your brother's college." That was it. For those that don't know that story. Think about it though. Your again, your book obviously tags into it. Intentional living. That's exactly what he talks about throughout the whole book is living intentionally. I think that's got to be a part of the big, secret. A big inspiration for me. I mean, I, I I've always said like you can you know I can go back to that place of bankruptcy, and I can still have my wife and my three kids and be the wealthiest man in, on the planet. Yeah. And I don't think I would ever look at things that way without those teachings i don't think i would ever look at life and loss the, that same way if i didn't have that conditioning yeah by studying that so often so that that was certainly a, a big inspiration for me and you're right it is about intentional living because i think for me like i was looking at the science behind the law of attraction, like, cause the law of sure. attraction, when I first learned about it, it was too out there for me to comprehend. And I wasn't into that. I wasn't into the religious sort of things. I was looking for some sort of a middle ground. And I did a ton of research on this, Mike. And eventually I found something in the encyclopedia Britannica. Remember those? That was the internet. <laughs> that was in our internet. Well, that was, was the internet. internet back in the day. Yeah. We had a set. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in that encyclopedia Britannica in the physiology section, it talked about the reticular activation system, oh. this function in our brains. And when I read it, it was wild. And again, my tiny little brain had a hard time understanding this, but our five senses are perceiving 11 million bits of information every second of the day. So like we've already received 50 million bits of information through our five senses since I said that. Yep. But our conscious minds can only reach out and, and, and pick out and filter 50, five, zero of those 11 million bits every second. So this function in our brain, we're the only species on the planet that has this, what I would call a technology, this reticular activation system. So that helps us filter and store information coming from our five senses that is relevant to either our ability to survive or thrive. Right. So the moment I read that, I'm like, okay, this is starting to make, I, I need a little science at times to, to understand things. And I get it. No wonder why I was felt like I was going through the motions, drifting, falling apart at the seams, because I never identified and defined what it was that I wanted out of life. Right. And therefore, while I believe my environment is abundant, I was missing it. And what's interesting is once I activated that piece of technology. I've always said like the most powerful app in the world is sitting right between our ears. And all we have to do is activate it. And the moment we do, everything shifts. And all of a sudden the right solutions show up. The right people magically appear. The finances finally come through. Like all these, what seem to be miraculous things occur. And it's because we actually took the time to define and decide what it was we want. So for me, that's what a lot of think and grow rich about is, is about is conditioning your mind to start to look for what you want or start to look for the good in situations versus looking for the bad. Right. 
you know, <clears throat> so many years ago, I'm like, you know, it's so easy to get offended. Like, it's like the new cool thing is for all of us to just walk around and be offended at everyone, everything, everything. And I made a decision years ago, like, that's not how I'm going to live my life. Like, I'm going to be the guy who doesn't get easily offended. I'm going to be the guy who lets people be and just lives his life. Like for me, I just want to feel good. I just want to feel happy. I want peace of mind. Like these yep. are all things I value. Yep. And if I walk around focusing on all the things that are wrong, I feel that's all horrible. you're going to ever. Yeah, it's all you're ever going to find too. If that's and, and then that shows up. Yep. It shows, it shows up shows in up. my environment. Yep. So I kind of realized that I was asking myself this question every day. Well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with this person? What's wrong? And the moment I shift and said, well, wait a minute. Well, if I could find what's right about that, what's good about this? All of a sudden, my focus shifts to what's good versus what's bad. And I live from that place and it changes everything because your brain, once you focus on like you want proof, your brain looks for proof. So when you make a decision or when you have a belief, it's faith 101, right? It's like when you have a belief in something, your brain scans the environment and it looks to prove those beliefs. So you got to be careful with that. And I think that's what Thinking Grow Rich did for me is it helped me start to focus on some of the things that I really wanted out of my life. And it's certainly an inspiration for my book too. Oh, sure. I, would, I wouldn't doubt that a, a bit. Tag on to what you just said, that same attorney that was our critical thinking. He sent us home on our first day said, your brain looks for proof of what it is that you think is right. Bingo. So he says, so here's, here's a challenge. On your way home, find all the Mercedes Benz. He says, now watch. Tomorrow, I'm going to ask you how many, how many other kinds of cars you saw. You're not going to be able to remember any of them, but I bet you'll remember exactly how many Mercedes you saw. Sure enough. How many guys saw Honda today? How many of you guys saw a Toyota? A couple hands went up. How about Mercedes? Every hand went up. <laughs> it's like... <clears throat> It's that technology You'll find at work. It's, you, it's, it's why you go looking for, you know, you, you're in the market for a new car, same make, model, yep. vehicle, color, everything. You see it everywhere. You want some new shoes? <laughs> All of a sudden, you everybody know. walking down the street has those same shoes and the exactly. right color. Yeah. The, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing what our brain is actually capable of doing. And there's somebody that has been, has been doing some stuff around thinking Grow Rich, a guy by the name of Paul Martinelli. Hmm. And, I, and you mentioned that you've, you've hung out with him virtually. You've hung out with him a little bit to find out uh, a little bit more about him. He's, he's one of those guys that's definitely an inspiration kind of person. Amazing. And, and, Amazing. Knows, and knows Think and Grow Rich inside out. He's run programs on them and stuff like that. What's, what's, what's a story you can share of inspiration from that? Yeah. Yeah. Paul's an amazing guy. So is Roddy is amazing. You know, they, they run the empowered living community. Yeah. And, and I think they've done two or three, Mike, I believe, Thinking I believe Grow Rich at least two, at least study two. series. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I tapped into the last one that they did. I think it was last year. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. Yes, it was actually, I, I missed that one, but yes, they did. Yeah. And that was awesome. I mean, that, that to me is like a lifelong study, right? It's, it's for me, it's an annual Never read. Ended. It's one of my annual reads. And it's one of those things where you read through it, you're in a different phase of life. You have different things you're focused on in life and you always pick something new up along the way. So that study that they did was incredible because it certainly came from a different perspective than I very, had, right? Yeah, yeah. So very valuable. And yeah, I had the privilege of going on and going live with, with some training this year. Nice. This must've been maybe a month or two ago. They invited me into the community and they kind of gave me the stage for about 15 minutes, which was a lot of fun. And 
And Paul introduced me. And of course, you know, I'm like, Paul's introducing me. This is amazing. You know, <laughs> it was such a cool experience. And sure. uh, yeah, those guys are so genuine and they're so generous. And uh, I look at Paul and Roddy as, as, you know, more of my mentors. Absolutely. No question about it. Yeah. Guys, it's people like that. Like same thing with my book. When I, I asked Ben to write the forward for my book and he's like, you got it. I was like, that's it. I mean, is that simple? He's like, yeah, you got it. You want me to write the forward? No problem. We don't always give ourselves enough credit. I think is is half of it. When we when we don't realize that what we're trying to do is contribute to the world, right? And then all of a sudden, it's like so and so has introduced me. So and so is doing this for me, and it's like, well, how? What am I that? Am I that significant? Well, yes. Yes, and what you probably don't realize is you always have been. You just didn't know it. That's right. What is it, like one in 400 million odds of being born? Exactly, as a human. That's speculation, but... Yeah, no, but, but even then, just even the speculative odds are insanely against us. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, yeah. here we are. Here we are. So why we've arrived we? at this exact time in this exact location, there must be. There's got to be a reason. There must be a reason behind so, it, right? So why are you sitting on your butt and doing nothing? <laughs> and if you're out there wondering what it is, then that's your purpose. Yeah. Your purpose is to discover why you're here. Yep. Like, there you go. There's a clue. And I think a lot of people don't, like you look at Bronnie Ware's work, and I opened my book with one of my favorite lines from the death of Ivan Ilyich and in the final moments of his life, mm -hmm. I'm one of those really weird mortality motivated people <laughs> constantly thinking about my death. That's a, that's a good book though. But I gotta, it, I, I it gotta, keeps me you yeah. know, on the straight and narrow, yeah. but you know, he was in the final moments and he's like, what if my whole life has been wrong? So, so we're experiencing these regrets at the end of our lives mm -hmm. and to the degree that we can minimize those types of questions. So we look back and, and we have confidence and certainty today is, is so important. So get, getting back to what we were talking about, because that's a rabbit hole in and of itself. Yep. <laughs> I, I think that a lot of us, if this is true, if we reach the end and we have this regret, if we're thinking about it today, that's the tap on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. That might be the U-turn we're looking for. Mm -hmm. if, if we know, if we're sitting here knowing that we're going through the motions, we're playing small, we're withholding, we could be contributing on a greater level, not making the most of our God-given talents, abilities, wasting our time. Like those are signals. Yep. Those are some signs that you're being called, you know, you're, you're being tapped on the shoulder. And there's so many people are like, well, I want to live more intentionally, Sean, but I, I didn't, I didn't go bankrupt. It's like, well, that has nothing to do with it. I used that event in my life as my wake-up call. I, I did a little introspection and I found some meaning in that difficulty and I used it as fuel for my future. You can use this pandemic. You can get out of bed, stub your toe and use that. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. You know, cause I used to sit back and I'm like so many of these incredible people in the world, like they had an accident, they lost their limbs, they, they lost a child, you know, they're like, oh my gosh. And, and, and I played small and I didn't do what I really wanted to do. What I, and I didn't contribute at the level I, I, I knew I was capable and, and meant to contribute on because I was like, I don't have that. Mm -hmm. I don't have that big, well, you don't need it. If you have a feeling that 
you're holding back and there's something that you've been procrastinating, like that's your sign. Or if you're not sure what your purpose is, like, well, then your purpose is to go seek it. I got to the point where it's like, I was thinking purpose had to smack me like a ton of bricks in the face one day when I walked out of the house. And I'm thinking, if I wait for this, something really bad's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm like, because look yeah. at all these people with these significant purposes. Like they went through some serious struggle. Yep. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. And I don't want that to happen to me. And who is the, the Roman poet who said like, death twitches my ear, live, I'm coming. You know, live, he says, I'm coming. That just like, I have chills just thinking about that. Of course, now you do that. I got to go look it up. Yeah, uh, it's just one word. I'm drawing a blank here. I, I know he was like a Roman, po Roman poet, 80 BC, maybe. Virgil. Virgil, thank you. I, I knew I knew I knew the name and I'm just like it's simple it's, it's I'm gonna be stupid here Virgil. it's okay we, we're in this together <laughs> damn it yeah damn it so anyways I, I think that that's enough that's I, all you need because a lot of us live complacently and we kind of go through the motions and we drift and then we make it to the end and we're like oh I missed it yeah I had this gift called life I had this one opportunity we missed it so I think if you're feeling that way that's enough and you can find meaning, you know, we've all had our struggles. Oh, yeah. We all have stories to tell. It's just, we haven't done that reflection. We haven't taken enough time to do that introspection to say, what did I learn about that challenging time in my life? Exactly. What did this struggle teach me? And that's the story. And you probably have hundreds of them. It's interesting that most people never take that moment. You know, there's a lot of talk about reflection and stuff. And I, I, I don't know that there's enough explanation around that, what it means and what it is that you do in reflection to understand all of those lessons that come through. I swear there's a bunch of people walking around that have no idea. They've had 15 lessons in a day and they don't stop. They don't stop to just take a moment and go, well, what happened today? That was such a, a lesson for me. What did I learn? Did I learn? You know, is there something to learn? Every, every one of those questions is valid. And if you haven't taken the time at the end of the day, I don't care how busy you are, whether you're a student, an entrepreneur, a business professional, I don't care. If you haven't taken the time at the end of the day to at least take an assessment of what happened, you're missing out on all the lessons that life's trying to tap you on the shoulder with, the very things that you were just saying. Coming back on the back of you and going, hey, um, here, this is better. But right. you, you don't want to miss this one. You know, yeah. it, there, there's a, there is a flow that's happening, trying to help you get to your next space, your next spot, pay attention because somebody's going to need it. I think that's an important, you know, that that's a mindset or I don't love the word mindset because it's being used so much often, but that's an important attitude I think to carry with you. Yeah. Yeah. Is that's that a good life way to call is it. happening for me. Yep. Not, not to, to me. me. Yep. That's true. And I have to just slow down and take a little bit more in yep. and stop. But it's, it's hard to do, isn't it, Mike? Cause it's like, we're in the information age. Everything's rolling at about thousands, a million. Yep. Yeah. Thousands of messages a day. And it's not easy right now. What was that uh, meme? Life is running at 50 WTFs a minute. And, yeah. and that, and that's, that is absolutely true. When the age of information first became available, so many people got so busy and overwhelm was instantaneous. Nobody knew what to do with it. Right. And it, and it hasn't slowed down. It's only gotten worse. People have gotten used to it, but they haven't gotten used to how to deal with the overwhelm because mm. they're still allowing it to happen. It's still right. happening on the daily. Right.
but with everything that you got, and, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this. It's time for us to take one more break, and then um, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about the book, the system, you know, where people can find you and all that kind of stuff. We'll be right back, guys, in about 30 seconds. It feels weird. I just said, and we're back. And now, and we're back. Here at Java <laughs> I was literally <laughs> saying that before I turned the recording back on. Uh, shucks. Sydney Rashawn Rosenstiel, best-selling author on Amazon for The School of Intentional Living. The last section, we talk about, you know, what's going on now. Sean kind of alluded to, oh, well, didn't allude. He, he basically shared with us where he's at. He's actually in now in Dallas. You're still coaching, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you have, your practice is based around this intentional living model that, that you've evolved and created. How long has that been running? About six years. Publicly this year. I mean, I was privately coaching by referral only, you know, started with friends and family sure, sure. who were like, Hey, what are you, what are you doing over there? <laughs> <laughs> and then it got into some referrals and then it got, eventually I was doing corporate groups and things of that nature, which I still am occasionally, but for the most part now I'm promoting my online course, which has done really well. I've been very grateful for awesome. some of the results I've seen, some of the transformation the students have been getting. I still do offer coaching. I don't promote that much at all. Right. Typically some students go through and they're like, Hey, we want to work one-on-one. So if I have yeah. spots, I can do that. And then about once a quarter, slowing down a bit, maybe once a quarter now I'm doing group coaching, like what I call an acceleration program, Cool. where we essentially take down, you know, what, what, what are the 12 modules in the course in a six week period, meet twice a week via zoom, typically groups of eight to 12, somewhere around that size. But uh, I don't think I'm promoting those either right now, just kind of slowing down end sure. of the year and, and figuring out, you know, what's next for, for next year. Right on, right on. Um, I'd be interested in learning a little bit more about your next group when that comes up. Cause I have, I have a few people that would probably be interested. Oh, not cool. On, Thank not, you. Not unlike myself. Thank you. You're, do you have any new, any more new books coming out on the horizon? Anything else coming out? Or? Mike, I got eight. Oh, is that all? I got, I got eight ideas and it's so <laughs> difficult for me to withhold. I love the writing process. I sure. mean, as much as the challenge as that was, you know, there, there's like six, I look at writing and publish a, publishing a book, like there are six main steps or phases that you have to work through. That's in my sure. experience and through all the training I had. And I look at that writing phase, like that was such a great experience because you're challenging yourself. Yeah. Everything is so challenging, but there's so much growth in all of that activity. So I would love to write my next book. I know what it is. I have an outline. I can't wait to get my butt back in the seat. <laughs> but I also feel like this first book of mine is, is important. And I, and I feel like I have to stand my post for, for a little while. Yeah. And I'll probably stay put and continue to promote the book and continue to enroll students in the course and continue to do some coaching from time to time just because I think that's got a long runway. Sure. And I think that it's important enough to, to invest more time in it. As much as I want to go off and write that next book, I feel like I owe a responsibility to this first one to, to continue the tour, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that makes absolute sense. And I, th- I think a lot of people will appreciate the fact that you are going to stand the post for a while because I think that's a, a platform where a lot of people need to catch up because there's still a lot of people out there that that haven't come even close to some of the things that we've discussed. Here's a question. Who's who's a good candidate for reading this book? I think when I, so first and foremost, this is a broad topic and as much training and coaching that I received, mm-hmm. 
told me that I have to identify a niche or I have to identify an ideal reader. Yeah. Like for me, writing this book to keep me authentic, honest, in integrity, transparent, like I wrote this book for my future children because I've been in that place, what, what Victor Frankl calls the existential vacuum, yeah. right? I've been yeah. in that place that is void of meaning, that is purposeless. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And right. I wrote this book with my future kids in mind because I figured, you know, if they're ever in a place in life and they're as lost as I once was mm -hmm. and still am from time to time, I want to give them a little bit of a map out of the woods. Yeah. They'll probably never read it. <laughs> Like, but that's kind of who I had in mind, right? But right now, out of all the feedback I've gotten since July, the great Swiss psychoanalyst Carl Jung talks about the stages of life, mm -hmm. the morning, the afternoon, and the evening of our lives. And what I'm finding is it's these people in the afternoon of their lives that are still using the same playbook from the morning of their lives that this book is really attracting because this is a playbook for the afternoon. And it's people who are feeling like they're going through the motions, they're discontent in one or more areas of their life. And they've kind of arrived in a place where they're thinking, I thought I'd have greater health by now. I thought I had deeper relationships by now. I thought I'd, I'd have more wealth mm -hmm. uh, by now. I just, I'm not where I want to be. Right. And, and I know there's so much more. So I need to make a big shift. Yeah. So I feel like this book is for people who are making that shift. They're, they're going from maybe blind ambition to more meaningful ambition sure. in their life, or they're going from, Hey, I've done everything everyone has told me to do. I've pleased everyone. And I've never actually taken the time to live life on my own terms. Not that that's an egotistical thing. It's just like, no, I no. need to start no. living life the way that I believe live it in a way that, you know, it was designed for me. Yeah. So I look at it as kind of a playbook for people who have arrived in the afternoon of their life and they're not satisfied with where they are. And they're looking for just a, a new approach where they don't have to reinvent the wheel. They don't have yeah. to learn anything new. <clears throat> right. They can kind of take this plug and play it and, and just move forward with it. And it's, as we mentioned, it's very relatable. It's really simple. I grew up, my dad just drilled this home. He was always like, Sean, you know, complexity is the enemy of success. <laughs> yeah. Keep things yeah. simple, right? So yeah. this is really simple. And um, it's a short read. It's like 125 pages if you don't include front and back matter. I mean, it's a, we, we stripped. That is a short read. It's a short read. We stripped. My editors did a great job. It was a little over 200 pages and they I, came and I, just I, hurt I could, my feelings. <laughs> I could, I could not have hoped. I wish I had your editors. My book isn't even, and my book's way more than that. And I don't, I don't, I think though, zooming in on solid content that is playbook, because mine's is more stories and stuff like that. It's, there, there's relatable guidelines and philosophies in it, but it's not, it's not like that. Maybe I should rewrite that book. There's a thought. Um, you know what though? Different strokes for different folks. I have a lot of people saying, Hey, thanks for, you know, keeping all the fluff out. Yeah. But then I have, you know, a handful of other folks who are like, where are all the case studies and testimonials? Oh yeah, and that's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, but but personally, Mike, like I read a book and I'm like, half of this book was chocked full of like self-serving for the mm. author testimonials that, like, I get it. I I don't need another. So my, I, I told that to my editors. I said I just want this to be straightforward straight yeah. to the point. Here's no how it fluff. works. Yeah. And, and and then they hurt my feelings and gave me that result. 
by taking so much out of it. Yeah. But, I, but I would do it the same way again. It's just a real quick, and it's one of those things where, and I tell the, I suggest this to the reader right up front. Look, just take a pass through this. You know, read this book cover to cover. It won't take you an hour, a couple hours. Yeah. And if you like it, if it's in alignment, if it meets you where you're you're at, which is my goal here. Yep. Then if you buy into it and you believe me and you like, you, you share my values and my beliefs and, and you like this, it's for you. Then go back with a fine tooth comb and actually execute the assignments at the end of the chapters. Yep. Otherwise it's not worthwhile to dig in. It's like, well, we don't even know where we're going here. So yep. I always like to do that 30,000 foot view, get a lay of the land, so to speak. Yep. And identify, is this congruent with, with where I am in life? Uh, you know, do I buy into this or not? So I always recommend take a quick pass, make sure you like it and make sure you trust me as, as, as your guide. And then if you do come back through and all, all the materials are there for you. I think you're the first one that's actually said that in all the podcasts that I've done, because I've had a lot of authors here and that, that makes absolute sense when you're, when you're taking a look at a book, it needs to be congruent with what you are looking for. One of the biggest lessons I've learned, one of the biggest time savers I've learned, Mike, is like, there are, we're in the information age. There is no shortage. We have the world's wisdom in the palm of our it's hands. It's insane. 99% it of it's not great. Yeah. But there's some incredible exactly. teachers out there. Yeah. And all teachers today hold office hours. They're 24 7, 365. Yeah. So when I talk about congruency, like I used to buy programs and buy, you know, books, whatever it was, any sort of learning material in different modalities. I used to buy it and I'd start to apply it, but then I would, get off track or then I would stop or then I would fall short or I, sh I, I lacked follow through. And, and I was like, why I need this thing. I want to make more money. I have to make more money. Why do I keep starting and stopping? And what I recognize is that if I don't have a, the, if the congruency factor isn't there with the person teaching it, I don't believe that person and I'll stop. Yeah. So it's really important that we connect with teachers, authors, thought leaders, online course developers, seminar, whatever it is, we plug in and tap into information where we feel congruency with mm -hmm. that teacher. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The relevancy component's easy. It's like, why would I go learn how to care for orchids if orchids aren't, orchid care isn't relevant? <laughs> like, yeah, I don't exactly. do that. It's not relevant. So right. the relevancy factor is easy. Usually when we have a need, we seek out a solution and we find it. Yeah. But what's important is that we have that congruency factor with the person delivering the information because it's rapport. Yeah. It's if we don't definitely. feel that, <clears throat> or if the author writes in a, in a style, like I, I've, I've read a few books where I'm five, 10 pages in the title, the subject matter fascinates me, but I'm like, you know, I'm about to vomit this <laughs> author's writing style in the ego that this author, like, I can't, it just repels me. Yeah. So I stop. I don't try to force myself through it. I know I'm not going to apply anything because I don't have the belief in the person who did it. Yeah. So for me, that's been a huge like wake up call, like, oh, got it. And now rather than like when I look for solutions, I also look into the person designing the solution yeah. yep. to make sure that I buy in wholeheartedly and that belief isn't going to stop halfway through the application process. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's one, and we all want different modalities. We talk about, it's not about reading the book. You know, maybe you're a listener, maybe your preference is audio and you're yeah. a better listener than you are a reader. Great. Grab an audio book. There's a lot of, it's why I have an online course. It goes deeper. There's advanced training, there's video tutorials, there's implementation. There's all these features. Yep. 
But I really did that for people who are like, look, I'm not a good reader or look, I don't read books. But if you had an online course, like I consume online courses, like no one's business. Yeah. So, so I guess now I'm on like authorship and business modeling for authors <laughs> here, but it's like, you have to change the modalities up to make sure that you are in line with the preference, the, the consumption preference of the customer, right? Because not everyone reads books. A very small percentage of us actually continue to read books. And there's still a ton very of people. Small. There's still a ton of people that need it. Yeah. So, yeah, having, so serve it this way, serve yeah. it that way. It's like you have to serve it up in different ways and some is more advanced than others, but either way you have to give a menu mm -hmm. because certain people don't read or certain people hate online courses. Certain people mm -hmm. need the connection of that community and want to do that mastermind or group coaching approach. Right. Other right. people value one-to-one -one help, right? So it's like, you got to have all these different kinds of ways of getting people to consume your information. Absolutely. I'm going to, what's the term? I'll just say, I'll just, I'm, I'm going to assume it's still available on Amazon. It is. Okay. Yeah. Right now I'm doing a little small promotion, not a big deal, but on my website, seanrosensteel.com, you can actually get a free signed paperback with a little personal message in there for you. Nice. You just pay a small fee for shipping and handling. That'll also give you half off the audiobook and the Kindle version if you want those versions as well. Even better. So yeah, it's a little deal I'm doing. Not a huge deal, but something different. And then uh, yeah, it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Hudson Book. I mean, anywhere books are sold, Apple, Google, you can find it anywhere. Awesome. And then uh, SeanRosenSteel.com, is that the only website that you have or do you have others? Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So all of those links, guys, will be down below, of course, in the in the comments. Make sure that you... Give him a follow, get, check out his website, stop in, say hi. I'm assuming you're on social too, LinkedIn, so Facebook, et cetera. Absolutely. All right, cool. And I know we have those links as well. So those, those will also be down below. We've literally reached the end of our time, unfortunately. I, I, I never liked this part of the show because <laughs> it's always like, but we have so much more to talk about. <laughs> I, think, I think at this point, people at least have a really good idea of what intentional living is. If you haven't been listening, go back and listen again because... John shared a lot and, I, and I'm sure there's a bunch more to share. So we, we'd love to have you back. If you have the time, we'll do a round two. We'll, we'll, we'll get a little, a little more loose, if you will, about sharing stories and, and inspirations. We'll have a little more coffee. We'll have a little more coffee. Lord knows I need to have another cup because that was my first one. And my tongue was pretty bad this morning when it came to getting tied up. Mike's going to double dose the Claritin along with that caffeine. Oh, jeez, Yeah. It's oh, these, for those of you that don't know and haven't really paid attention I, I live in las vegas <laughs> las vegas while it is a wonderful city to live in out in the burbs we have every non-native type of plant you can think of that doesn't belong in the desert <laughs> which which leaves us with some kind of allergen every season of the year and what's funny is we only have two seasons <laughs> cold and cold and hot right and we still get every kind of pollen that comes in it oh it's crazy but yeah it, it, we've reached the end of our time we want to tell everybody again, thank you. We love you for stopping in and taking a listen. If you're watching us on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button, hit that bell. So, you know, when we get more awesome people like this to come on, share their insights, their wisdom, and their knowledge. If you're listening on any of the platforms for podcasting, make sure you download or subscribe on your favorite one. If you're listening on Anchor, you know, you can support us. Every little bit helps this little, this little podcast that's growing. I think we're, I think we're almost up to a hundred and... 20 some odd episodes at this point 
my goal is to hit five. My my goal is five hundred. Good for you. I I want I want a ton of information for everybody that's relevant to life, that's relevant to increasing and and being successful in the way that they wish to be. Uh, again, finding that purpose. I uh, stay stay alive, people. You know, keep keep going. We, we always always try to find people that can bring this kind of value to you, this kind of of relevance to living. That's the reason that we always see the same thing at the end of every show. Stay up, stay safe, stay healthy, and live. For Sean Rosenstein and myself, Coffee with Mike. Ciao for now. For more information on Java Chat, visit www.javachatpodcast.com. You've been listening to Coffee with Mike on Java Chat. Tune in weekly to this podcast for the next episode. You can also download or subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform. A production of Oasis Media Group, LLC. Located in Las Vegas, Nevada. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.